Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Before this episode of The Final Word, a reminder that Adam and Jeff are producing daily episodes during the Australia v. India test series. The daily ups are available within about two hours of the end of the day's play. If you have an interest in the origin story of the Australia versus India rivalry, check out The Greatest Season That Was Presents, The Final Frontier. It's a great long-form documentary that explores the beginnings of Australia v. India. Episode 1 features Hasha Bogle and Episode 2, Gavin Robertson. Episodes with Adam Gilchrist, Damian Fleming, and Colin Funky Miller are on the way. The Greatest Season Was Presents and The Final Word are part of the Bad Producer Podcast Network. You can check out all of our podcasts at badproducerproductions.com. That's enough from me. Now, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon, and The Final Word. You all set for retirement, mate? Yeah. My sister will look after me. Claire, did you win the lotto? Not my sister. My Seabus super income stream. Sis. Right. With as little as $80,000 super, Sis works with the pension to provide a steady paycheck even after you retire. Seabus. For all of us. To consider if Seabus is right for you, go to seabussuper.com.au for PDS. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. This is the Final Word Cricket Podcast. Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon with you. As we have been on the last four days at the MCG, this would have been the fifth day of the Boxing Day Test Match. Not to be, because India wrapped it up in the space of four, but I'm still... Uh, living in the afterglow of that to an extent. It was such a fabulous victory from the Indian side. We won't devote too much time to that today for this is uh, our New Year's Eve spectacular where we mm-hmm. list the best and worst in review of cricket in 2020. Uh, before doing that, I'll welcome you, Jeff Lemon, as we watch uh, what will... Well, you'll know the result of the Pakistan-New Zealand test match when you listen to this, but as we start broadcasting or start podcasting, more to the point, Pakistan need to survive nine overs for a, an unlikely draw given their nine down, uh, and New Zealand, of course, need one wicket after taking five in the final session. So plenty going on at Matt Monganui, but there'll be plenty going on in this podcast, Jeff. Uh, South is just wasted. One bowling down the leg side. That's that's not it. That's not it, Tim. You've got you've got eight point five overs to go. It, we did this twelve months ago, didn't we? And, and that might be one of the last times we. In fact, we didn't record that together. We were doing that down the line on Zoom. Mm. But we watched New Zealand take a late wicket to win a Test match against England, if I recall correctly, on the final day, something like that. So right. good energy uh, for the Black Caps as they strive towards this win. Another one down the leg side. Eunice Khan looking very nervous on the balcony. Yeah, it's it's the best and worst show. This is one of my favourite final word shows of the year. The Christmas show, the long interview, um, always. Is very heartwarming and makes me feel good. But the the New Year's Eve review, as we as we picture you maybe listening to this show, as sort of in the the late afternoon or the early evening on the thirty first, looking back at the absolute bin fire of a year that was. But also, it makes me think that when when everybody's saying our oh, twenty twenty was such a terrible year, and and maybe things will be better, it's worth remembering that we are in the heat death of the human civilization, and that we're we're facing you know ultimate ecological collapse in the 
the next couple of decades. So maybe it won't be better next year. Yes. Maybe that, it won't. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a nice, um, nice spin to, to put on it to start. Uh, what is nice, though, is that, um, is that you've met my daughter, Winnie, yesterday. I, I don't want the world uh, and the civilization as we know it to collapse in her, in her youth. Um, mm. So fingers crossed that doesn't play out and we get our act together on that front. But it was nice seeing you two play together. I, I like the idea that she's been listening to your voice from you know, 10,000 miles away throughout mm. her life and now she's finally been able to put your, your face and your long hair and all the rest to your to your distinctive voice. Well, she knows me from the Zoom screen. so That's you know, true, that's true. And, and we did... You know, Done we, the waves. We've had some waves and so on. And, and maybe she knew my voice when she was in utero because I was around... Before I even <laughs> knew she was there, I, I, was, I, was, I was there. I was in your home. You were. I, mean, I wasn't there at the point of conception. That We're not that close. But I was, I was around in, in her early moments as a collection of cells. <laughs> that's right. I should note before we get into the, the proper part of the show that... Uh, we had a great response to the final word daily out of the Adelaide and Melbourne test matches. In Melbourne, we were, of course, filming it with Cam Fink. If you haven't seen those videos yet, they're beautiful. Cam has done a great job. Mm. I mean, this is his gig. He's so good. Uh, whenever we work with Cam, we end up with some amazing video content. But yeah, you may have listened to what we did during the week, or maybe you didn't. Maybe you have no interest in listening to the daily shows but even just looking at the, the one that he did yesterday in, in the MCC library focusing in close on my notes and uh, sort of getting us in the aisles one after another I'm looking at books and so on it was a, a nice touch so um, we didn't really expect to be building our YouTube channel uh, this summer but here we are so if you already uh, have found us on YouTube that's great if you haven't uh, we'll be uh, doing these videos again next week for the third test match and the reason that's the case is we're going to be in the same city we're going to be in Melbourne with Cam unexpectedly when we filed last night we thought that the test match would be in Melbourne we assumed it would be confirmed accordingly by Cricket Australia and then they went the other way which we found out late last night Jeff well I I just I want to know what happened in those last few hours because we were told and a bunch of outlets were told there would be an announcement at 6 p.m as to where it was going to be and then Right at the last minute, that was postponed and that was pushed back, which does make you wonder who was making crisis calls at that point, who was getting on the phone to CA mm. and and making them delay that announcement. And when they did announce it a few hours later, it was Sydney. So was it a few hours earlier not going to be Sydney and there was some intervention? I'd be very interested to know what went on in those final few frenzied minutes. You know that, that expression that nothing good ever happens after midnight mm. uh, on the piss? <laughs> well, it might, it might be that in, in corporate governance speak, nothing good happens after 6pm yeah. because the decision they arrived at was one that, yeah, well, we didn't expect it, but hearing Nick Hockley uh, do the best he could, I suppose, this morning, the interim chief executive of Cricket Australia, when answering questions about it, yeah, look, at once I was very surprised, but not surprised at all. The more I thought about it, the more it made sense that Cricket New South Wales, with all their power and all their might, and other forces in and around Cricket New South Wales, like the SCG Trust and the New South Wales Government, who, of course, were really important in getting the White Ball series on. So, you know, Cricket kind of owed one to New South Wales after they stepped in when Queensland wouldn't allow India to train while they were quarantining before the one days and T20s. The more I have reflected on this, the more this was sort of the inevitable outcome. It was just how they found a way to put the pieces together in a way that they could justify the third test staying at Sydney instead of remaining at Melbourne. In the cricket, uh, Sally's just wasted a bunch down the leg side and Trent Bolt's just bowled a couple wide outside the off stump. So they're into seven and a bit overs to go. <laughs> Look, I don't agree with that idea that cricket Australia owed New South Wales because, sure, New South Wales were helpful and stepped in when the Queensland Health Department were not being helpful and, and got the white ball series on. But they also got 
four extra games that they weren't going to get. They yep. had two one-dayers and two T20s at the SCG, all of which were sellouts. They had good crowds in for them, and that's four days of bonus cricket, um, which is pretty much a test match, certainly in Sydney, where it rains for maybe three or five <laughs> days. So <laughs> the idea that, like, it had, if Sydney loses the test this year, they still finish up levels. You know, they, they haven't been cost anything. And the fact that it's been announced on the 30th of December on a, a day in which a bunch of mystery cases have popped up in the western suburbs, there are new clusters where they can't find links to the northern beaches as yet, and who knows how that's going to go in the days ahead. It just seems irresponsible to say that in that environment we'll push ahead even though things might get quite a lot worse in the days to come. And we don't know. We've got no idea, as opposed to the relative security of saying we know that that things are likely to be okay in Melbourne where there's there are no cases around. Yeah, it just seems reckless. Well, let's wargame this. So it could be that the situation deteriorates in New South Wales. And let's hope it doesn't, by the way. Let's hope that things do get better. But they were foreshadowing today, the New South Wales government, that things might get worse. Well, uh, certainly in that new cluster. Will, because their, their new cluster, they're saying, are a bunch of people who visited family events over Christmas yes. indoors for long periods of time, and there will likely be more infections. Right, and so, on that basis, it might be that there's a more stringent set of conditions put in place for the New South Wales public. So let's imagine a scenario where people aren't permitted to come to the ground, let's mm. say. They're expecting a half-capacity attendance at the moment, but let's say it gets worse to the point where that's not possible. We mm. could have a scenario where we're... Um, we've gone through all this effort to, to make it everyone in a bubble in, in New South Wales into Sydney yep. for a test match that doesn't have fans, which you've got to start asking yourself whether that'll be worth it. They, they've talked about agility throughout this process, and that's been the key word from Nick Hockley, certainly over the last couple of months. Will that agility extend to now taking it back off Sydney? Yeah. If, if uh, I mean, that would be if the true test worse. of their agility. If yeah. things get worse, will in they the then go? three days. And, and my view is that, and this, I've probably said this on the podcast before, one major lesson from my time in politics was that the public respect you if you backflip when the facts change. Mm. They don't respect you when you dig your heels in and maintain a position when it's almost unjustifiable. Politically, you can it's almost easy to go the other way and say, no, 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 I don't want to contradict what I've said before. Mm. I will dig in. But I think over time that erodes the faith the public have in you. Whereas if you are willing to show a bit of candour and say that things have changed, we've got to be nimble and agile and, and we're going back on our previous position, I think that you get a decent run with the public and I wonder whether that's the approach CA have really been taking that they're happy to announce this in Sydney and go through the process now mm. but maybe it is a performative thing and that they knew they had to for political reasons give Sydney this big announcement last night knowing that there is some possibility they mm. still may need to revert and go for their second choice Melbourne if things do get any worse I mean there's no real way of knowing that of course uh, we're, we're speculating but it would be interesting to be a fly on the wall of those conversations that Jollymont put it that way yeah what I would say is I'd be very surprised if the ground staff who were rolling the second pitch of the MCG straight after the test match um, had stopped taking care of that second wicket. Yes. You know, if they were not still preparing it as if it might be used. Well, um, that, yeah, that, that, that question came up today as well. And, and I suppose they would need to. And, and the same applies for a second pitch being ready in New South Wales, by the way, because it may very well be the case that they things get stuck get, there. Well, they get stuck there. They're, they're, they're saying that's not possible due to the bubble environment. But we know that breaches of bubbles have happened before through COVID and they'll happen again. And we know that the Queensland Health has been pretty prepared to be very strict on well, things they've been and militant. change its minds. And, and, and that's been politically advantageous for them. They won 
the election in a landslide on the basis of their militancy about mm. maintaining the integrity of their borders. So I think a, a long way to run on this. We're recording on the 30th, so it's eight days until the first ball will be bowled at Sydney as it's been scheduled. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, even though at the moment it feels like a definitive decision and that, you know, Sydney will be the destination. And by the way, that does have a knock-on effect for a lot of people who, um, who, who would otherwise be at the test match. You will not be there. I will not be there. Mm. Even though I fall into the bracket of being a broadcaster on this test series, there's no way to facilitate being at Sydney and then going on to Brisbane because yep. you would you would be mixing with other people in our media in space who aren't in the bubble. So yeah. th- there's a suggestion that there's an accommodation made for broadcasters. Well, what's really happening is, is that there's an accommodation made for the broadcast technology suppliers. So DRS, yeah. Hotspot, you know, the other technical bits mm. and pieces that, that that are required. To people who are essential to the broadcast yes, is what that's they it. mean rather than yes. people who are, who are covering it. And uh, I'm not putting myself in the middle of this by any stretch of the imagination simply to make the point that, you know, it's not a case of, I don't know, Ricky Ponting or another celebrity getting flown into Sydney and, mm. then, and then flown out again on a chopper or something like that. So, And there are other elements to this, um, such as what happens to those who are in the bubble go to Queensland and have to complete 14 days of hotel quarantine, it sounds as though the players won't need to. The players will be able to leave after the test match because there's a, there's a, an understanding with Queensland Health that they've already been in a bubble environment mm. at Melbourne and they will have, of course, been in one in Sydney too, but not for those who are external to that. So, you know, to pick an example, the, those that run Hotspot or DRS, they will be stuck in Hotel Q mm. in Queensland for, say, five or six days after the test match while the players are able to jump on a plane back to India or, <laughs> or rejoin the Big Bash. It seems a bit unfair. Yeah, just just a little bit. Um, yeah, you go off and enjoy having a run around for the Sydney Sixers or whatever it is and, and we'll just stay here in Brisbane. So that's that's the situation that we're in at the moment. Uh, in and, and the by the way... And, six and by, overs left. Yeah, the, yeah, the Pakistanis over. are hanging in. In there. They are. They Nassim are. Shah just batted out and over. Tim Southey couldn't get him out, took his 300th wicket in this test. He did, and we'll talk a bit more about that in a sec. Just to close the loop on this, just to pick up on a point uh, that I think we've both made on interviews we've done today, Cricket New South Wales were the organisation mm. who pulled the trigger on David Peaver mm-hmm. in 2018 and on Kevin Roberts in 2019. I might have got the years wrong there. 2018 and 2020, isn't yeah. it? So there was a year in between. But nevertheless, they are the most powerful stakeholder, the most powerful member of the mm-hmm. federalist structure. They're, you know, they're the biggest state, therefore yeah. they, they have the most clout. They have the most money, the most players, the most clubs, the most people, all the rest of it. Yeah, so um, I don't think we should discount that. It was put to me last night that that has nothing to do with it. But, you know, if, if you were... How could it not have anything to do with the psychology uh, mm. of those making a decision? I'm not saying that Earl Eddings or, or Nick Hockley are acting in bad faith. Not at all. We've seen nothing to suggest that either of them are acting in bad faith. But how could it not be in the back of the minds of everyone who are in positions that... At the pleasure of mm. uh, the board, which is in large part influenced by New South Wales. You'd be mad not to weigh that up as yeah. a consideration. You don't want to cross the head of the family. And if somebody yeah. wants to Photoshop up, shop up uh, John Knox as Tony Soprano, then you're probably welcome <laughs> to do so. But. I mean, it was, I, I, the question asked to me on radio earlier today was, would we be having the same conversation if this test match was in Tasmania? And, like, I'm, kind of, and I'm kind of as thinking... If have a test match Well, Tasmania. yeah, as if there'd be a test in Tassie to begin with. But I mean, like... Yeah, when you think of it that way, if, I mean, of course we wouldn't. Mm. If, it were, if, it were, if it were Bell Reeve yep. missing out on this test match in, in identical circumstances, I'm fairly sure this test would be going elsewhere. Yeah, they'd be saying, sorry, sorry, champs. Uh, yeah, see you later. See yeah. you never. Yeah, yeah. So there, there, I think that has 
a substantial amount to do with it, but sort of the idea, the question that was put to me before in an interview that is it important symbolically or spiritually to have a test at the SCG even if there's no crowd? Well, no, it's not. Like, no. Not this <laughs> year. Who cares? Yeah, and, and not this year either. I mean, a lot was made of the Boxing Day test and mm. and how important that was for, for Melbourne this year, but the state government were pretty clear that unless all the benchmarks were met, as far as it would have uh, gone COVID elsewhere. three days that it would have gone elsewhere and, and, and that would have been fine I don't think but everyone was upfront about that yeah. everyone, no one no one shied away from that it wasn't as though the importance of Boxing Day was going to mm. gazump the health needs of the state right whereas with this one yeah there seems to be I don't know why we're talking about the Sydney New Year's test being some I mean the Sydney New Year's test is not traditional it's like that old peep show thing is mm. cauliflower traditional well the Sydney New Year's test match as it's played at the moment yeah it's often been played in the first week of January but mm. if you talk to someone like Jim Max well he'll, he'll explain to you that that's not always been as it is even if you look at the idea of it being the final test of a mm. series that only goes back as far as 98 99 so i know and, this and won't often be it the wasn't final that test. either like often, depending who was coming and who was playing and if yeah. there were two if there were two series then it might be in the middle and all the rest well pakistan played in in if i recall correctly november 1995 when when they mm. were out so and i only raise that as as a as a as a point to note that uh, we can kind of get carried away about what is traditional and mm. what is essential and and what is just something that's nice and, and it's also not often been a great contest because it's either been rained out or played on a road so when was the last great sydney test 2008 against india maybe that yeah. you know when how many classics have maybe we had at sydney the, the, over the, the years the pakistan although it must be said there's a fairly big cloud over the pakistan test in match in 2010 wasn't it yeah but maybe there but yeah like and really, that shouldn't be an issue either. If we're taking that in- into consideration, maybe they should be permitted to take the fact that India have got a great record at Melbourne into consideration. Mm. The, my, I, I guess my point here is that it should be about public health uh, and it should be about doing uh, what seems to be uh, logical and, and, and runs to common sense. And this feels like a lot of efforts being made to placate uh, a very powerful organisation. Shall we look at New Zealand, Pakistan? Five overs to go, nine wickets down Pakistan. They're hanging in there trying to hold on to a draw, but uh, the New Zealand have been super impressive over the last couple of weeks. They've managed to sneak in some test matches this year um, where not you know, not many other countries have been able to play much test cricket, but I think they've played, this is their sixth test, I reckon, for the year. New yeah, Zealand. they played a couple against India where they win-win. Two, th- two and a half day test matches as well, mm. I should add. They thumped the Windies by an innings twice and now they have the chance to finish off Pakistan and Mitchell Santner is about to bowl uh, the with five, five overs, overs left, go, I think it is. Yep. But here on on this occasion, you know, they've gone out and batted big in the first dig, as they've done pretty well recently. It was Kane Williamson once again, one hundred and twenty nine. Actually, field. if you're pointing at something, well, oh Look yes, men everywhere. These are the fields we live for. We've got two slips, a gully, a short leg, a, a silly point, and a man at six around the bat. Yeah, six around the bat. That'll be that'll be eight around the bat before we know it. If Sutton starts to find his groove and Asim Shah leaving well outside the off stump, um, plus the but, keeper, so seven around the bat. So uh, New Zealand made. 4-3-1. Yeah, Williamson's taken it to a new level, hasn't he? Mm-hmm. Another century. He's 23rd in, in Test cricket. Ross Taylor, the ever-reliable, and BJ Watling and Henry Nichols all making half-centuries on the way. They had Pakistan at one stage 5 for 52 from 42 overs. Mm. 43 overs make that. So they were going at barely one and over when they lost their fifth wicket and they're only 52 on the board. So the fact that Pakistan didn't completely shut up shop there alone is a bit of a minor miracle. Um, then we've got 
uh, New Zealand batting uh, a seven second time and yeah. seven around the bat, one right? <laughs> batting a second time and building a big enough lead to declare and here we are but yeah it, it's just it, given we're used to watching test cricket in slow motion this is um, the opposite of that but mm. we might be seeing the end of this test match in front of our very eyes they've gone upstairs Jeff I don't think this is out this popped up off the pad from Nassim Shah and was caught I thought it was sliding on I only caught it at the side of my eye I, I, I think that might have they've been sliding on catch, I, think. I think they've gone up they, they're saying there's an inside edge uh, right well yeah if, if, if they haven't touched it mm. I wonder whether this might be sliding onto leg stump because it didn't turn. Yeah. So, um, so it's probably not great podcasting to talk about something to, that's to, live. to live call a cricket um, match. But let's go it anyway. So it's uh, pitching in line. The question is, it's definitely not touched the bat. So uh, they've gone up for quarter LB short leg. leg stump. And yeah. Nowhere near the bat. I think this will be missing leg stump. And given it was not out on the field, they're doing ultra edge on a ball that missed the edge of the bat by a foot. Yeah. Like. Come on, I'm fine. We can get on with it because that's going to be given. Yeah. That's going to be confirmed as, as not out. But all the same, just to, and we'll we'll go a bit more to this in our end of year review. New Zealand, it is not out. The New Zealand story this year is a great one. The fact that they are so close to overtaking India mm. uh, in the World Test Championship, and indeed overtaking Australia as far as the, the the ICC overall rankings are concerned. Yep, they found a way to get six Test matches in at home, or well, little yeah. six as of as of next week. Can uh, Australia drop out of that top two if India win the rest of this? Series? That's a good question that I don't know the answer okay. to. But I do know that New Zealand uh, can overtake India and get their way to Lords mm. for another final. So, so well played to them. So that test match also started on Boxing Day. The other test match this week that might be slightly more relevant to conversations we've had on the final word in, in recent weeks is South Africa and Sri Lanka. And look, it wasn't a particularly competitive test match in New Zealand. Have won, by the way. Fantastic caught and bowled effort from Santner in his follow-through. Six up the left mitt. Uh, Nassim Shah is the last wicket to fall and New Zealand win another test match their fifth in a row at home this year well played them it was a little bit of a Shannon Gabriel moment I think from Nassim Shah who felt that he had to hit out because everybody was surrounding him so he, he played a, a bigger drive than he needed to and it popped up another win for New Zealand by 101 runs they've been impressive I think there's no other option at this point because of that as Bill O'Reilly said fuck it we'll do it live uh, Mitchell Santner has to be the CBUS Super Performer of the Week. <laughs> He's just won a test match for New Zealand uh, at the last gas, four overs to go. That r- pretty ridiculous catch over his head. Uh, does that work for you, Adam? It does. Uh, a player who we saw the test debut of all the all those years ago in the in the very first day night test match at Adelaide Oval, and we follow closely and we. Love the way he goes about it, so it feels fitting to me that he would be our final CBA Super Performer of 2020. Yeah, so it's sort of the inverse of Nassim Shah's shot there. Um, CBA say, don't throw away your innings in retirement. <laughs> Visit cbussuper.com.au. You can get a PDS there, and you can remember the past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. cbussuper.com.au forward slash the, the final, final word. word. Oh, we've got our own page we've now. We've got our own page now, so yeah. if you... Uh, if you uh, Forgot that. And, and as we said in the past... Go on, sort out your super. Yeah, sort your if, life if you, out, If mate. you haven't thought about your superannuation, if it's the end of the year and you're kind of, you know, dotting the T's and crossing the dotting I's. Dotting the T's, crossing the I's, that's, uh, what, you as, yeah. uh, that's what you do. That's what you do when you're putting uh, a man on the moon. Mm. You can go to cbussuper.com.au forward slash the final word and from there you can find links to speak to people who can help you sort your super out. And trust me, as someone who never sorted their super out and then eventually got around to it, far far later than I should have <laughs> it's been worth my while and I'm sure it'll be worth yours too it can't I just, hurt I just looked up our page it's cool they've got our like little our cartoons there and our logo and uh, it's nice yeah, it's nice yeah go see what your life out 
but yeah, there, it was quite a lovely thing this last week or so to have three Boxing Day yeah. tests. There was one that started before ours in, in Melbourne, um, so it was already going by the time we got to the cricket. And then there was another one that started much later in the day, so you could you could really have your day of cricket from, you know, 8 in the morning Melbourne time through to uh, 2 a.m. or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, three, three, even later, I reckon, 4 a.m. or something like yeah. that. So for those rugged individualists who like to watch every single ball, it was there for you. Um, yeah, but Sri Lanka made 396 and... Found a way to How lose many by times do you make 400 batting first and lose by an innings? Yeah, there wouldn't be many instances of that. I'm trying to think if I can recall any off the top of my head. I can't. But no, they made 396. And the big moment there was when uh, Dan and Jaya De Silva uh, was retired hurt on 79. He was smashing him and he, he badly tore a quad or something like that. And, mm. and that was the end of his day. But anyway, South Africa make 621. Faf makes 199. Caught it mid-on with like... Five fit men left on the field for Sri Lanka. I think it was a full toss as well, but nonetheless, uh, the former captain uh, did the trick and, and they finished the job with the ball as well, bowling out Sri Lanka for 180 the second time around with all of the bowlers um, mm. getting involved. Uh, the best part of that was that Faf made that 199 just wearing a towel yeah. the, whole, the whole way through. I, I assume you saw that video of him jogging around mm. uh, before this test with his shirt off. Yep. Goodness gracious. I mean, why wouldn't you? If, if you? Why wouldn't you have your shirt off at all possible opportunities? A- absolutely. My shirt is starting to chafe me. It's, it's, it's presumably the motto of the Proteas. <laughs> Jimbo Jones. Yeah, it's just, it's Jimbo just Jones. underneath the crest, underneath the Protea crest in Latin, it says, my shirt is starting to chafe Now me. my pants are starting to chafe So that, that test match was played at Centurion, but Jeff, why it's relevant, more relevant perhaps than, than the others this week, is because CA are watching this very closely. We know that Australia will play South Africa in about, five weeks from now. I think mm. the test series is meant to start on the 15th of February in South Africa by reading their local media reports. Nothing official yet, but it may very well be over there. Two or three weeks ago, we were thinking Perth. We were seeing the bubble having been breached with the England-South Africa series in Cape Town. And on mm. the basis of that, there was a story about Perth as a neutral venue. I mean, Australia would have been the home team, but a neutral venue for the for the purpose of it still being a, a Cricket South Africa series to sell and monetise and, and so on. But we haven't heard much about that since. And hearing Nick Hockley again asked about it today, his view was that their preference is to go. And the, and the same comment was made by the Players Association this week as well, that their preference is to go to South Africa and to find a way to make it work. And the fact that they've been able to put on a test series uh, we'll put on a test match, the first the first match of a series with Sri Lanka there. It'll be kind of hard for CA, even if the players don't much fancy it. And Patrick mm. Cummins voiced those concerns before Christmas. It's kind of hard to see how they won't end up going there for mine. Mm. Yeah, I, I just, I, I still can't see it happening myself. It just, it, given the way the England tour had to be called off and the way the situation is going in South Africa, which is very, very bad as far as COVID goes. I still can't see them doing it before a vaccine's available. Like, I, it's just... I, I'm not sure why the talk is, is so upbeat because surely you have to be realistic about the fact that it's going to be extremely difficult to, to try to make that happen in a completely secure way. To counter that, they might point at England. And England's a shambles. I mean, the UK as a country, mm. COVID-wise, and, and has been since the start, really, with the exception of a couple of months in the middle of summer. And yes, that, that was when those test matches were played. But nonetheless, they could easily say, well, look, you went to England. Mm. Um, you're willing to do it for your mates in the big three. Why wouldn't you be Why willing to come over to play in South Africa? Yeah. We can put on a bubble that's, uh, you know, we can put on, a, 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 even though there was that breach last week, they can point at the Sri Lanka series and, and mm. say, well, this, this can be done. And on that basis, I sort of feel as though we should be preparing ourselves to 
go, or, or I mean, I know we will go if that happens, but as a cricket watching public, I suppose, mm. that this might very well happen. We might have an extended test summer yeah. with three test matches in South Africa uh, played through February and March. And can I just take a, a moment to note as the screen flashes up that Fawad Alam made a test hundred? He did. Doesn't that make you feel better about life? It's a great At story. last. God, how long has he been waiting? Since about 1982 or something. It's, well, it's a remarkable story, isn't it? He, the opportunity he received in England this year and now 102... But, but, but when he did get that opportunity, he made a duck and it was all... Yes. Was, oh, God, it was horrible. They're, they're going to they're gonna love that in, in Pakistan. Mm. Uh, it, it's a validation of their first class. That's how they see it. Pakistan fans see it as a validation of their first class system that he's been picked from there after years in exile, so to speak. So, mm. yeah, so well played to Fawad Alam for posting his first test entry. I think it's his first, isn't it? He didn't... He didn't. He hasn't, yeah, as far as I know. Yeah, yeah. In, in any case, he's first since um, since getting since this, readmission. Since as readmission. Were. So, yeah. but yeah, a, a bit of a watch this space on, on South Africa. And Jeff, with those test matches discussed, and uh, with the politics of the day dealt with as mm. well, I think we should uh, shift gears. And before we talk about uh, the year in review, let's just have a little bit of nerd pledge. The last nerd pledge for 2020. Just a little, just a little quick one, a little taster. If you don't know what nerd pledge is, it's the game that we play with our listeners, specifically the people on our patron page, and they support the show and they keep it going. And the way they do it is by sending us a little contribution, a currency contribution, a number of uh, units of, of big currency and small currency, and the number relates to cricket, and we have to guess what the number means. Some housekeeping, Jeff, uh, before we get stuck in and, and nicely summed up there. First of all, uh, we have a very, very big inbox at the moment full of some lovely messages mm-hmm. received around Christmas. I'm sorry that we haven't gotten around to replying to those yet. We've read them, but we've had a lot on between Christmas and getting around the country and, uh, in my case, wrangling Winnie in the middle of a 10-month sleep mm-hmm. regression mm-hmm. and all the rest of it. We, we just haven't had the time to to really get our teeth stuck into the reply. So we'll be doing that uh, during the week and that will be ahead of story time, Jeff, which is returning the Saturday after this one. So we've given ourselves a couple of weeks off due to how much podcasting we're doing right now. But uh, lo and behold, if you have dropped us a line, uh, it's been noted and we look forward to uh, uh, kicking off those conversations again in 2021. And if you've been waiting for a revisit on story time, that will happen in that, that second Saturday in January because we decided not to be recording an episode on New Year's Eve. But the game, the game of Nerd Pledge, the one we discussed, it works like this. Uh, in this case, this is a double header. So two different people sent us this number and what they did was send us $3.12. And that means that it, the number might be 31.2, it might be 3.12, it might be 312, it might be any sort of variation of those things. James Tiernan and Dave McRobbie are the two who sent these numbers through. The 312... And there was a clue from James, uh, not from Dave, whose number is open to interpretation, but from James. <laughs> the clue is that I send this from the northeast of England. Have at it, Adam. Yeah, I'll get to the 312 in a sec, but seeing 312, it made me think of 310. And yep, it'd be it remiss of us not to talk about 310 just for a moment here, because uh, very sadly, John, John Edridge passed away on Christmas Eve at age... 83, that number 310 is forever linked to the former England champion uh, who died after battling cancer for a long period of time. As it's been remarked in the obituaries written, one of the bravest English batsmen in that really terrible sort of pre-helmet era when he had to deal with so much short pitch bowling but did so uh, with such bravery. And his 310 in 1965 against New Zealand at Headingley, as we've detailed in the past on Storytime, was one of the most famous triple hundreds ever made at test level uh, on the basis that 
that it contained the most boundaries. He struck 52 fours on the way to 310, which is just remarkable when you when you do the maths in your head. But uh, Vale, uh, John Edrich, and sadly the very next day, his former teammate at Surrey, Robin Jackman, also passed away at age 75. A player, Jeff, that we probably knew more as a broadcaster uh, growing up watching him call cricket, but uh, he was a champion at county level, as a number of his teammates uh, explained, uh, again, in their tributes. He really held that Surrey attack together uh, through the 70s and did get his chance on the big stage as a test player with England. Of course, he'll, he'll always be linked, his name will always be linked to the uh, the Jackman affair, as it were, to 1981, uh, where a test match was cancelled in the Caribbean on the basis that he was from South Africa and he played cricket in South Africa through the time of apartheid. But, yeah, he, he did play test cricket and I think that, yeah, judging by the, the reports and obituaries, he was one of the most well-loved people in the game and made a massive contribution over a number of decades. So uh, Robin Jackman and John Edrich, uh, the two greats of the game, both passing away in the final week of 2020. Farewell to them and uh, may they travel well on whatever happens next. So those are the links to the 310 that's not the 312. Yes. But what is the link to the 312? I, well, I went with North East England first. I, I wanted to uh, dig into that. So thank you to uh, James for sending a clue through. You don't need to send a clue through, by the way. We actually quite like it when, when the clue comes after we've had a had a stab first time around. But clues are fun. Clues uh, narrow our scope. And I thought North East England, I thought, uh, why not Yorkshire? Why not Raymond Illingworth, who averaged 31.2 with the ball? in test cricket so 122 wickets across 61 mm-hmm. matches he also of course made a couple of test entries and was a very important all-rounder but an incredibly important captain and next month it'll be uh, 50 years since he led England to victory in that famous Ashes series of 1970-71 the seven match Ashes series where they uh, had to win at Lord. Sydney in the last of those to guarantee oh, the John Snow series yes the John Snow series indeed and, and they did so they, they won 2-0 they went 27 test matches between 1968 and 1971 under Illingworth where they didn't lose a series didn't lose a match for that matter so mm. he's one of only nine men to have taken 2,000 first class wickets and made 20,000 first class runs and when your career spans from 1955 until 1983 you get the chance to do things like that he mm. was still playing and leading Yorkshire he came back out of retirement in 82 as a 50 year old uh, to lead the county again in 1982 before retiring in, in 1983 so and of course went on to and be so involved in, in the England teams of the 1990s. But, yes, a, a, a giant of English cricket. Is uh, he any link to uh, umpire Richard Illingworth? No, they're not. Uh, contrary to what you read on some websites where they've in the past said that their father-son, that's okay. not the case. They're, they're not related. Right. It's just one of those uh, coincidences. Umpire Richard Illingworth was not drafted under the father-son <laughs> no, rule no, into no. umpire. <laughs> Uh, or maybe it was um, maybe it was the, the name drew him into the game. I've just always a liked version of nominative the, determinism. I've liked the name. Be, be, nominative, nominative determinism. We did it. Um, I've always enjoyed Umpire Illingworth being in a game that I'm calling because I get to call him 007 License to Illingworth. Um, <laughs> but, but, I, I used the um, the classic yesterday. Uh, umpire Rifle keeps his pistol in his pocket oh, when, when he didn't very give good. someone out league before. Uh, it, it also makes me remember. The maybe the less salubrious version of the umpire chat that used to happen on White Line Wireless where we had Kettleborough and Illingworth, the two Richards, um, who became referred to as Big Dick and Little Dick <laughs> over the course of the series. Um, yeah, it was a classy broadcast at times, but you just had to go with it. Uh, uh 
Yes, right. Yes, I like it. Well, maybe it's right. So 31.2312, northeast of England. Yeah, that's it's good. It's plenty of boxes. So let us know, James. And for the other uh, 312, so. Dave McRobbie. Dave McRobbie. Who I think was on the show just recently. He I, was. I think he said, I think what's happened is that Dave McRobbie's put in another pledge, but it's matched James's pledge. So he's come up the list because that's what happens when you get a double header. So Dave McRobbie has been, he's been an absolute fixture on the show in the last few weeks. And as a consequence, it almost certainly means I fucked this up because it would have been a, it'll be a Scottish number, won't it? Based no, on I don't example. think he's Scottish. I think I just but didn't. Think he's we have Scottish. a. I'm sure we, it was it was a Scottish reference last time we have Dave and Robbie on the show. I'm pretty sure. Was we, it was it Dave who sent us a message saying that my dad's Scottish accent sounded a bit like his father? He and did. He felt quite uh, nostalgic. <laughs> We've had well, a lot of messages, so I apologise if I can't exactly remember who sent each of the ones. But. Well, well, this might be Scottish, but nevertheless, I think it's a good story because right. um, I didn't know it, and neither did you. Neither did I. So Mike Brearley made an unbeaten. Th- 312. Who knew? <laughs> Did not pick that. Who knew? Mike Brearley, who, you know, I suppose the way history records him is a phenomenal leader, mm. a brilliant tactician who wouldn't have otherwise been in the English Test mm. 11 if not for the fact that he had those overarching qualities. You often hear of a side having a almost a brilliant captain when they wouldn't necessarily be in yeah, the top six. A specialist captain. Specialist captain. Who, who doesn't, you know, who averages 25 or something. Who served England so well. I think he averaged 23 in Test cricket, didn't make 100. But at first class level, kind of before he played full time for Middlesex this mm. year. So 1967, he was leading a, an MCC under 25s team in, in Pakistan and in one of their fixtures against the famous North Zone. Mm, one of my favourite zones. <laughs> he made an unbeaten 3-1-2 in just 330 minutes, so all in one day. And he struck 46 boundaries and three sixes in that innings. Wow. And it's the 14th most runs ever made in a single day, which... I mean, again, for a guy who... I mean, I went back and had a proper look and he did make 45 first-class centuries. He did Mm. average 38 at that level. It's not as though this was a jobber who happened Mm. to get the job as England captain. This isn't sort of... Because he was a psychological genius. No, (laughs) even though he he is literally a psychoanalyst (laughs) and a genius. But he got there on merit on the basis of his first-class form, I suppose. But yeah, 3-1-2, not out. That's quite the score. So uh, let us know if we have got that right, Dave McRobbie. Indeed, James Tiernan as well. That's your 3-1-2. Jeff, the second number we had, you had this stone cold, mm-hmm. dead. Five one three, five thirteen, five dollars thirteen, five pounds thirteen, five mm-hmm. euro thirteen. Any mm-hmm. currency you want on Patreon is now available. That's Troy, not true. Only those three are available. Oh, let's just say three. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was any currency. Anyway. Any of the three that we've mentioned. Any of the three I've mentioned then. Uh, Troy Smith, 513, and you were just there immediately. Troy Smith, 513. I was like, is that not five for 13? Which is what Timmy Murder on the Dance Floor uh, took at Lords when Ireland played there and they knocked over England for 88, was it? Am I going to say? Is that correct? Was uh, it even that? I think it might have. It was 80 something. I'm so, 85, I reckon okay, it was, actually. 85. Yeah, I should remember. It was my number one moment on this corresponding show 12 months ago mm. for the year of 2019. I think I put it above the World Cup and right. <laughs> but anyway and, and I, that comes to mind also because um, if you've spent a bit of time online following the social media accounts of Sophie Ellis Bexter the original singer of Murder on the Dance Floor she's put out a bunch of videos during lockdown which have been quite entertaining of her doing sort of karaoke set up singing at home with 
and she's got a couple of small children, you know, mm. one of which is a baby and one of which is sort of walking around, who does not give a shit that she's Sophie Ellis Baxter, you know, just not interested. She, she's doing the, she's singing and dancing up a storm out of her lounge oh, yeah. room and her kid's just wandering in out of, and in and out of frame like, yeah, whatever, I'm singing again, you know. Oh, and don't it, worry. We watched these live streams during yeah. lockdown initially, so we know yeah. all about Sophie Ellis Baxter and her, what was she calling it? Her kitchen disco, I think it was. So, mm. Speaking of social media Some accounts. Some sort of relation to Ben Hilfen House. Yes. The, the big German disco. We had several messages about from people who, when I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, had never heard Ben referred to as the big oh, German gosh. disco before and enjoyed it thoroughly. So you're welcome. I think I started saying that in about, well, it would have been White Line Wireless days, wouldn't it? Probably. Maybe, yeah. even, maybe even earlier. Speaking of uh, Tim Murta and social media, Tim Murta is the name, same spelling, of one of those crazy Trumpist jocks in America. Okay. And as a consequence, from time to time, our Tim Murta. Tiger Timmy murder mm. gets dragged into crazy social media Twitter <laughs> conversations and he'll often quote sweet and just dunk on them or, yeah. you know which is you know the way to do it I suppose so Why shouldn't Tim murder 5 for 13 those wickets were Burns Roy Besto Moen Ali and Chris Wokes he was on a hat trick at 1.2 I reckon he it's picked up amazing that Joe Burns is in such bad form he got out for England <laughs> as well <laughs> he retired from international cricket this year Tim he'll still be playing for Middlesex next year why wouldn't you he was so good in the, in the Bob Willis trophy mm. this year for the Sea Axes so he'll be back next year there but he'll always have those famous days for Ireland at Lords and at Malahide the year before an unexpected test career an unexpected international career full stop really when you consider the only reason he knew he, knew he was eligible to play for Ireland was when Ed Joyce said, Murta, that sounds like a bit of an Irish name. And mm. when he was like 31 years old, and he's like, yeah, my grandma's from Ireland. And he's like, oh, maybe you should play for us. <laughs> and the rest is history. And it is sad that we won't see him bearing the shamrock out onto the field uh, for Ireland again. That's Nerd Pledge. If you want to send us a Nerd Pledge, it's very easy. Go to patreon.com slash the final word. And in doing so, you can help us keep doing the show and the daily shows and the uh, story time shows that we'll do on the weekend. And for everybody else who's waiting for a Nerd Pledge, it's going to be a bumper edition of story time in two Saturdays time uh, with a lot of numbers on it. So uh, keep track of that. And we will be telling you all sorts of historical tales with the big Nerd Pledge show in 10 days time or so all right jeff enough from us for now let's take a quick break and when we're back our best and worst of 2020 hi i'm natalie jimonis and you listen to the final word with jeff lemon and adam collins as we come to the end of a year it's a time to remember that a year is traditionally made up of 12 months and that if you release a monthly publication you will put one of them out for each of the 12 months and that is what the people at Wisdom Cricket Monthly have done. They don't lie when they say monthly. They mean it. One per month. And there's one that's the December, January kind of one, uh, which is going to be out, it's probably already out now. And here's the underlying contradiction. A magazine which has been produced mm. and created in mm. December 2020 yeah. will have on the cover... January 2021. I mean, like, I'm okay with it. I'm not angry yeah. with them. That is the custom with magazines. But nevertheless, it, it is worth noting. What it is, is it's a promise. It's a promise of a future that is yet to come. And that is what has kept us all going through this year. The idea that 2021 may exist and it may be different to what we have now. Uh, it, it's as they sang in Les Miserables, tomorrow we'll discover what our God in heaven has in store. And tomorrow... <laughs> I, feel, I feel like you've, you've done that bit in the last couple of months. <laughs> 
I'm glad you've done it again. <laughs> not not precisely that bit, but I will often quote Lamy. So usually when we've been doing separate podcasts, I've just been doing it on my own. You know, yes. um, the the lonely walk by the same. But you know, things things are different now. Um, and and that monthly episode, that January edition, is out. What is the same is that it remains an outstanding publication. I love the fact that so many people who listen to the final word have also become part of the Wisdom Cricket Monthly family month mm. to month due to the deal we're about to tell you about um, the cover story in this final edition of 2020 as it is described or first edition of 2021 Who as knows? it says on the tin it's a monthly that spans two different years get your head around that uh, Joe Root is in the magazine now Joe Giuseppe Root. Giuseppe Root <laughs> he's, he's talking well, an exclusive interview so the very first edition of Wisdom Cricket Monthly uh, when it was uh, relaunched a few years ago Joe Root was on the cover mm-hmm. um, this time it's Phil Walker who's the boss of the he's the he's editor the word boss he's the editor in chief of yep. the magazine as opposed to the magazine editor as opposed to the editor at large he is the editor in chief of Wisdom Cricket Magazines Monthly magazines have too many editors these days in my view uh, take note Wisdom Cricket <laughs> please eliminate two I am not a great <laughs> but, the, <laughs> but they are all performing different roles discrete roles if it were if we were going through them all uh, the one England large, skipper one's chief they're all just like banter names aren't they hello chief hello large uh, he, he tells Phil mm. uh, that he has a point to prove with the bat in the longer form of the game and insist his side now have the attributes and they know how to win the Ashes next winter. Oh, and look, big I, words, big words, Joe. And I think that's timely because we saw the ICC mm-hmm. <laughs> teams of the decade come out during the week. I'm sure you, like I, had a good laugh at them for a number of reasons, not least the fact that Kumar Sangakkara taking the gloves for a team of the decade and a decade where he did not wicket keep. He did not keep wicket <laughs> at all in the decade. You know? um, but but he's, a, he's a lovely, very well-spoken man on commentary and so people are like, well, he can keep uh, wicket in my team of the decade if you know what I mean. So, uh, but yeah, Root would have been uh, had this team. Have we been foreshadowing what the team of the decade might mm. look like in 2015? Have we said what will the team of the decade yep. be in 2020? Joe Root would have been the first names on the team sheet. That's not the case. Well, so would Kumar Sankara because that's when he stopped <laughs> playing cricket. <laughs> But Giuseppe uh, hasn't had the best run over the last few no. years since taking the captaincy armband. I think his average is closer to 40 than it is 50 as skipper. So there is a, a point to prove, as he says here. He led them to defeat 4-0 in 17-18. And next year's Ashes, well, I suppose we, on, on the evidence of what we've seen mm. in the last 12 months, they're going to have uh, two very useful bowlers for the conditions. And if, look, if the pitches that they get next year are like Adelaide and Melbourne have been in the last two weeks, and you can you can throw onto that track mm. Archer Wood, Broad slash Anderson. Well, you know, that's or Ollie Stone. Or, or well, that's the wild card. Yep. If, if Ollie Stone's fit and available, well, that that's very exciting. But and it'll make for an excellent series. So that that's the front of <laughs> the, the underrated man. drummer in the Angus and Julia Stone <laughs> trio. Finally, branching out on his own. He's, he's Ollie. It's <laughs> a fast bowler. Uh, Joe Harmon, who's the magazine editor, mm. he goes back um, twenty years to a bad-tempered Test series in Sri Lanka, best remembered for the brilliance of Graham Thorpe and the defiance of Nasser Hussain and some of the worst umpiring ever seen in international cricket. So a 20-year retrospective on that from Joey. They've copied us. They're reflecting on the best of a bad year by picking out the most memorable moments. Get your own stuff, (laughs) Wisdom Cricket Monthly. Uh, They're looking at the Professional Cricketers Association and what that has done in turbulent times. Some really important work in turbulent times at PCA, so well played to them. Uh, John Stern, who's the editor at large, (laughs) investigates the lack of diversity in England coaching at the elite level and that's part of that diversity series Mm. that's been a feature of the magazine for, it must be at least six months now they've done a fantastic job at interrogating mm. one part of cricket each month uh, because the magazine comes out once a month yep. so it gives them the opportunity one 
time per month. Yep. So look one at one topic per, one topic per magazine. One topic per month. And Never what, had a what crash. they've got is Dream Dinner Party, check this out, Muhammad <laughs> Yusuf, David Gower, Ian Salisbury, <laughs> Ben Duckett and Luke Fletcher. <laughs> just imagine Ben Duckett just upending pints over David Gower at your dinner party. Those are the interviews. Oh, um, great. And, and, I, and I note the Ian Salisbury one. I think Phil did that and he was saying when he was tweeting about it the other day that he's one of the one of the nicest people in cricket, the former England leggy. So I'm looking forward to getting my hands on on the mag too. Well, for a lot of reasons, but not least to read that with Ian Salisbury. And uh, for you to read your own column about the rejuvenation of Glenn Maxwell. What? Uh, you're uh, telling me that I've written a column? You have. You've written about a column. Glenn Maxwell. I'm surprised. I'm as surprised as you were. Yeah, Phil described it to me when I filed it as a love letter of sorts. I didn't think of it that way when penning it, but I can see now, in retrospect, how it might come across you, that you way. You can see now why you and the guy who has a Twitter account, I think the handle is just please Glenn, and all he does is tweet to Glenn Maxwell and ask for him to reply. <laughs> and he sent, at last count, 1,300 tweets <laughs> saying, please, Maxie. Is that your please. burner? You know we can find out <laughs> those burners these days, Jeff. Um, yeah, so so that's, that's what we've got. And there's, you know, there's Andrew Miller and Izzy Westbury and the other normal columnists Wisdom Cricket Monthly it's once a month and you can get your sweet discount where you get six months worth for 10 quid or 15 bucks by using this magic code you use the code no code at all no code at all all you need to do okay. is go to bit.ly yeah so bit.ly forward slash WCMTFW and that's in the show notes mm. don't even have to remember it bit.ly bit.ly WCM Name of the magazine. Yep. That's the clue. Okay. TFW, name of our podcast. Oh, and that will take you straight together. to a page. I had a look at it before. 10 quid, six editions. And I now read it on my iPad. Mm-hmm. I've moved away from the hard copy. I still collect okay. the hard copy because it's yep. a beautiful thing. But it's very, very user-friendly on mm. the tablet. And this is the, the discount that relates to that version. 10 mm. quid, six editions, 15 bucks if you're in Australian dollars, mm-hmm. six editions. For the best cricket magazine in the world, I don't want to brush over Izzy's column either about asking for the next Marcus Rashford to step forward from cricket. It's quite a punchy piece. I've had a look at it uh, on the way through. So, yeah, when you've got the mag, don't brush over the columnists. Read Izzy. Read me. Read Andrew Miller. Uh, and, and read everything else that's in this jam-packed edition of Wisdom Cricket Monthly. B-I-T dot L-Y bit.ly forward slash W-C-M-T-F-W. Just read the show notes. <laughs> G'day, guys. This is Jimmy Neesham. You're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lehman. It is the final word. Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon, since the first segment, we have stepped outside. We are now yeah. on a balcony. A mm-hmm. couple of hours later, the plan was to record it all in one fell swoop this week, but we have failed in our mission. I've I had an engagement to attend to, so mm-hmm. Jeff sat on the sofa at my brother's house and did some work, and now we're back in in, in pod, pod form, form um, <laughs> to talk about the best and worst of 2020 and I can almost guarantee that we'll use the gag in pod form in 2021 oh, we will we'll never stop using it and also as when you said this is the final word it just occurred to me this is the final final word for 2020 of 2020 I wonder how many apps we've made let's do a quick so rough a, a quick mud map of this so we did well at least 52 weekly shows that's yep. a starting point sure we would have done Probably 30 about story times, I reckon, all told. Yeah. Maybe a bit more. About that. We're up about, about 30. 30. So let's say 30 story times, 52 weekly. So that gets us up to 82. We've done, if you want to... Seven dailies. Seven dailies. No, so eight 80, dailies. Eight so. to 89, 90. And then eight plus... Dailies. And if you want to include the shows that we made during Calling the Shots, so there's seven yep. full episodes there. Mm-hmm. I think it was six episodes and an intro mm-hmm. episode. So that's 97... 
Does that mean we've fallen three short of the 100? I, I don't know. I don't know how numbers work and I stopped counting. I think that's right. I yeah. think if I've got my... If I've tallied that up correctly, we've, okay. we've, we've fallen three short. Well, there are I suppose also we can some, count some pre- Yeah, the teasers. Went out oh, of live shows. Yeah. Two oh. live shows on Zoom. That's 99. Yeah. And a teaser, a teaser on the feed for Damien Fleming. Hun. We're raising back the bat today. Raise the bat. How do you like that? <laughs> well, we didn't plan that either. We, we no. somehow did maths live on the show. It's bad possible idea, I, it was 90, not 100, and I, and I fucked that up. But that's okay I as thought, well. Yeah, I thought where you got to was like 83 plus the 7. So maybe it's 90. But whatever. Whatever. 90's fine. 90's a good 90's score. 90's fine. As you always say, we overrate the importance Absolutely. of three figures. Yeah. Oh, it's just three figures. Who cares? Did you make 98? Is that... Much less good than 102? Not really. The best and the worst. The way we've done this before, Jeff, this is the longest standing segment of the show. Because yeah. in our first year, 2015, when yep. we were given a studio to record this when in... When we were but, but uh, slips of lads. Well, slips of lads, indeed. This was sort of a, a brainwave we had mm. on the final day of that year, and it went quite well. So we've done it in 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. This is the sixth time we've done this. Wow. And the formula has been simply that we rattle off yeah. our best and worst. There's nothing more to it than that. There's yep. no point system. There's no, no scale. There's no, no. rankings. No. We just go best, then yep. we go worst, and yep. we go best, and we go worst yep. in sequence, mm-hmm. and we see where we get to. So why don't you start, Jeff, with All the right. day of cricket you were at back in March before the world changed? Yeah, the obvious best when I was like, what was great this year? What was great was March. 2020, the Women's T20 World Cup final at the MCG. 86,100 and something yep. people. It the, the, the feeling of that day of, you know, having been just in the six or seven years that we'd been covering women's cricket of seeing it go from being completely ignored to seeing the MCG basically... I mean, well, it was sold out. Just some people didn't show up, so all the tickets were sold. The seats almost all filled. It was an extraordinary moment, and it felt so great. And it was also literally, like, if it had happened a week later, it would have been cancelled because of COVID. So the timing on that, that it just snuck in before all major events were cancelled in Australia was extraordinary as well. Yeah, let's deal with the cricket first, then the, the I suppose, the, the bit that follows after a fantastic tournament in so many ways. The fact that Australia were under the pump, they lose their first game to India at the showgrounds mm-hmm. on a on a shit heap. They nearly, nearly lose to Sri Lanka at the Wacker, yeah. um, and all hell's kind of breaking loose for the Australian team at that point. They, they stabilise against Bangladesh. They win their final group game. I can't remember who that's against. New Zealand, they, New Zealand it was, at Junction Oval on, which was essentially a quarterfinal, mm. an elimination game. Then they, then they had just the get problem. the semifinal, <laughs> which, and that's, also a low point of the year for mine that England were omitted, well, ejected or beaten or whatever via the... Eliminated. Um, eliminated. That's the word I was looking You'll for. You'll have eliminated. For, uh, on the basis that there was no reserve day, which we kicked off about at the time and I'm hopeful that that'll never happen again in an ICC women's tournament or men's tournament for that matter. But by the time we arrived at the final with that all behind us, it was all about filling the G. Mm-hmm. And in some respects, the sad part about what you said there about all tickets being sold is that the, the reason they attributed to not actually selling it out... Well, no, sorry, not actually filling it, it was that some people stayed home because of mm. COVID. The early, early, early days of COVID had seeded in and some people, yeah. fair enough to in hindsight, had taken a view yeah. that they didn't want to subject themselves well, to that well, many people in the cricket there's ground. A, there's always pretty much anything at the MCG. There are a couple of thousand seats that are corporates or whatever who don't show because they're shitheads. And that, <laughs> and that happens at, you know, at every... If they want to be involved with the final word though next year, they're very welcome sure. to get in touch. Well, it depends what business they're involved <laughs> yes, in yes. and where they rank on that scale. But it's always, you know, like the capacity is 102,000 or whatever it is and every footy grand final that's a sellout, you get 99,000 because there's, you know, a few seats at the top of the members where members yeah, can't be yeah. bothered and then there are some corporates who don't show because they can't be bothered because they don't care because they got their tickets for free and they don't want to come. So, you know, it was part, probably part COVID caution and part 
exactly those sort of people and uh, 91,000 tickets attributed but yeah. 86,000 seats filled. And 91,000 would have given them the world record for women's sports. That yeah. was a little bit disappointing, the Women's Football World Cup from 2000. But hey, we'll when you, you take it knowing that we didn't have crowds thereafter and look, let's be honest, there was a COVID case at the ground that day. The people that stayed home because mm. they were worried about COVID being at the MCG uh, were validated yeah. by the fact that there was COVID inside the MCG. There was. There was I mean, <laughs> it wasn't as though there was not COVID at the MCG. <laughs> Their concerns were validated. But Elisa Healy that yes. night, the explosive way that she played, the sixes over cover, um, just getting it rolling. And then Beth Mooney with, what was it, 70, 78 not out, big not out score by the end of that day. And, I mean, she was the best women's player for the year for mine, Beth Mooney, across everything. Yeah, and the way Beth Mooney worked her way into that tournament, the really important contribution against New Zealand in that quarterfinal I talked about, mm. and then three great catches in the outfield, but it was set up by Megan Shute, the dismissal yeah. of Shafali Verma in the first over, I mm-hmm. think it was. Fourth, and fourth we ball. spoke to her on the final Third word, ball. and we had a conversation with her, one of our best interviews of the year, I reckon, mm. where she explained how she set that up and how she thought a lot about the way that Verma took her on in that first group game, mm-hmm. you know, a fortnight earlier. And a couple of games previously, they played a couple of warm-ups where That's Verma right. had, had yeah. bombed her down the ground a lot. Yeah, so that was that was a classy bit of cricket and a, and a fantastic moment in time. I think in my Wisdom Cricket Monthly column just after that, I said that if that's the last bit of cricket we see for 2020, at least it was special. In the end, I'm really glad that that premonition uh, yep. wasn't right. It hasn't been the same kind of cricket, but yes, it was a wonderful day. In terms of the worst, though, on the other side of that coin is the way that women's cricket lost its way uh, in all of this. There wasn't there wasn't anywhere near as much women's cricket as they otherwise would have been. You know, even as recently as last week where India's women, yeah. um, the BCCI, are saying now that they won't come to Australia. It's unlikely they'll they come to Australia. To. I mean, we've known this yeah. for months, but they just haven't even bothered putting out a statement. And this, yeah. is, this is the real low, is that the way all of the governing bodies treated women's cricket after that World Cup final, after we saw what what the ceiling is, you know, what the headroom is, and then they all said, oh, yeah, can't be fucked. It's, it's too expensive. We're not going to put the time and resources into making it happen. And how contrasted that was to all of the men's tournaments, you know, getting the IPL on, every, heaven and earth move to get men's cricket on, women's cricket too hard, too expensive. So they've delayed the 50-over World Cup, delayed the 20-over World Cup, the next one cancelled a whole bunch of series, barely anyone's played except for Australia and England um, in those last few months. Yeah, my anger's geared more towards the ICC decision more than the member boards perhaps because... The end of the day, yeah, CA... They're the ones making... The, they're the ones driving. No, sure, but CA did get their program away against yeah. New Zealand, and the ECB did everything yeah, in their power. But they're the two boards who did, because they've got the money to do it, and the yeah. others just didn't. No, that's right, but I'm just making the observation the that, that, that uh, you know, the decision to delay the 50-over World Cup, that's more egregious for mine than the bilateral mm. series falling over, as disappointing as that's all been. There was a buyer bubble for the women. They did it. They pulled it off. The yeah. West Indies came over. Yeah. yeah, sure, it was five T20s. It wasn't the triangular series with India and South Africa that was foreshadowed. You know, that all went to shit, but, you know, they did also name 40 players as having contracts this year and they did get the uh, the, the domestic uh, competition off the ground in 50 over mm-hmm. level so I mean it's a mixed year for women's cricket fantastic start but yeah terrible news about the World Cup next year which for my part then as it is now felt like a decision of expedience and had really nothing to do with COVID as much as it was it was an easy way to save a few bucks along the way. Yeah it was a decision of we can't be bothered putting in the time or the effort or the resources to make this happen and that contrasted against one of the best things which is the way that CA were able 
able to get the Women's Big Bash on, 59-game tournament played in condensed form in Sydney in a hub with all of the eight teams there and they were prepared to stump up the cash and make that happen. So that was, you know, in contrast to the way that most of the other um, women's cricket was treated, that was a real plus. One of the best parts of 2020 was the West Indies saving a day in England. Uh, I mean... I don't think we'll forget that first test match at Southampton. Sure, that they get pumped in the, in the last two and mm. they lose the series, but they really were the heroes there. Remember the circumstances uh, that they agreed to fly into England. We were still middle of the first COVID peak when they had to make the call that they would agree to a charter flight. They arrived when we were still in full-on, hardcore lockdown, well before the conditions had been relaxed a little bit, uh, and they started that week actually it started on the 8th of July so four days after things had relaxed a wee bit but nevertheless the, the Windies winning at Southampton in that first week they would earned that on the basis of the hard work uh, to get into the country in the first place it was very special and look if not for the Windies doing what they did maybe Pakistan don't come maybe Australia and Ireland don't come mm. maybe the women's cricket doesn't happen maybe it all falls in a heap but they were the trailblazers there and recognised accordingly and they were right Jeff to then at the end of the series say you know we've done the right thing here let's have a more mature conversation about the equitable distribution of broadcast money into the future between home teams and away teams so that it won't be so lopsided towards the big three when we consider the financial health of the different member nations playing test cricket and well that part was important but i think even just the the relief of it you know even watching from australia where you know often i was up crazy hours of the night because uh, I don't know there was hyper anxiety because the world was on fire and being able to switch on and watch some test cricket you know and watch Jermaine Blackwood make that yeah, nearly get a ton in that fourth innings run chase and, and how he batted there, that sort of promise coming to fruition and, and he's really gone on since and, and made some um, pretty admirable runs since. Well, he's the West um, Indies vice-captain this week, which kind of points to the fact that they're, it's like every positive thing we say, unfortunately, there's a, a negative rider and this one is that 10 of the West Indies senior players aren't going to Bangladesh yeah. for their test and one-day commitments because of concerns about COVID and that means Blackwood's been promoted to, to vice-captain, yeah. Brathwaite captaining that side, so there's, there's always a reminder that for all of the good mm. this year that there yep. often comes with a, a tinge of bad yeah everything's a coin this year and it depends yeah. which way you call but but seeing that um, seeing Stuart Broad get to 500 wickets and Jimmy Anderson get to 600 Brilliant. you know extraordinary moments yep. in themselves I, neither of those things should really be possible but having them both happen in the one season um, was extraordinary too yeah it was uh, and, and the circumstances around the Anderson 600 remember all the drop catches <laughs> last test of the yeah, summer yeah. you might be stuck on 599 as we go into a long winter who yeah, knows whether it'll tour all of that several calf muscles over the next year and exactly like again. does he get stranded on 599 all that kind of thing and, and the very fact that Landerson bounced back so well after yeah. having a poor test match to start that series against Pakistan by the way I've overlooked that that brilliant chase that England made with Wokes and Butler oh. to win from nowhere on the final day on an absolute Bunsen at Old Trafford with Yassir Shah out of the footmarks I mean yep. that was a classic end to a fantastic test match yeah that was one of the one of the better finishes we've seen and the sort of I mean a test where you just thought Imagine seeing that in front of a full house, yeah. just losing yeah. their minds. It was. It, it felt like such a loss. Worsts of 2020 in that same summer for me. Watching Rory Burns and Dom Sibley open the batting together. Uh, watching now, one now. of watching one of them, I might have been able to cope with. But I don't know. You, you know when you know when someone's got like a really weird sort of double jointed limb or something, and it makes you feel a bit queasy when they <laughs> when they bend it in the wrong direction, and you're like, Ugh, I just feel a little bit nauseated. Yeah, that was just feeling like that for the entire partnership. Before you walked in today, Jeff, to. 
record with me. Rach and I were watching the episode of The Americans where they have to fit a dead body into a suitcase. Oh, so yeah. maybe that's what you're thinking about there. But I wouldn't make that um, equation myself because I have a lot of admiration for the Dom Sibley 100 facing 300 and... Was it 350 balls to bring up his century? Mm, something something like ridiculous. So, whilst at the other end, Ben Stokes was kind of doing as he pleases. Yeah, and a bit Madassa Nazar. You know, yeah, yeah I think later in the test, he made like 70 off 30. The point being here is that England have actually found someone in Sibley who might might be a long-term person they can depend on. Sure. And I'm, it's maybe. A, they're both very good cricketers if you look at the scorecards. I'm just saying you don't necessarily want to watch <laughs> it happen. We didn't see heaps of test cricket as it is. Uh, yeah. England managed nine and did really, really well, and that's on account of the fact that they got their South Africa series dealt with um, mm. before COVID and obviously played six tests through their home summer. New Zealand did really well as far as getting... We talked about them earlier, of course, but all those matches at home, not a bad effort. Um, I mean, that's their, that's sort of their usual. They, they played six tests, which is about what they normally get per year when, yeah. you know, when you look at say the number of hundreds that Williamson's made versus his peers you think he does it from half a dozen tests yeah. a year. I think they missed one tour through COVID that was delayed um, South Africa in India played four apiece Australia in Zimbabwe three Bangladesh two so as Jim pointed out last week no McGillray medal for Australia Yeah, they only played three test matches so someone like Nathan Lyon who's been on 390 test wickets for Seemingly ever, yeah. Um, this had to, yeah. He'd be well above four hundred had they gone to Bangladesh and, and so on, but but not to be. So, but yeah, I suppose it, it could have been worse. That's how I'm spinning that mm. one. You know, the bad news, yes, that Test cricket was delayed and the World Test Championship was undermined a little bit in the process. Compromised, Compromised yes, the way they've had to cobble it together. But at least there is a determination to get these series played where they can. Yeah, um, you look at you know Bangladesh missing out on an Australian tour once again. How many Australian tours to Bangladesh have been? Yeah. Cancelled, and and also, I mean, we've mentioned this before, but the bloody-minded spin lingo that everything's been postponed has been cancelled. <laughs> if you if you don't do something and then you do it three years later, that's a cancellation. Like yes. that's not postponed. If you and I are going to meet for lunch and I'm like, oh, I can't make it, but I'll catch up with you in three years' time, that's. That's cancelling. Yes. That's not, it's not postponing. That's a totally different lunch in three years that could also have happened. You could have could have had both tours, but no. Um, uh, yeah. so that, that nonsense that, oh, no, we'll, we'll never cancel anything again. Like, just pull your heads out of your asses. And broken record as I might be, Australia were right to cancel a tour to Bangladesh. No dramas. No. No dramas? No dramas. I'll try that again. No, no, don't try it again. That was great. Let's keep it. It's, it's, it's like if you're Scottish, you drink a dram. And so if you're a drama, maybe you're someone who drinks a lot of drams. No dramas. No dramas in here. Um, I only want sober, hardworking men. I don't know why I'm Irish. <laughs> I heard that more in an American accent more than a, more than a Scottish slash Irish one, whatever you were doing there. Um, Celtic, generally. Uh, no, but, I, I, you know, the, there's more likelihood of you and I going to the moon together this year than Australia going to Bangladesh to knock off the two test matches that they're meant to play before the World Test Championship final and mm. again look obviously it's complicated but hey the Windies are going over there why can't Australia yeah and Australia is apparently going to go to South Africa so you know, why not Bangladesh if bubbles work uh, if, yeah, if, bubble. if, if we've got bubbles in Sydney yeah. we can do bubbles anyway if, if, you're, if you can make it there you can make it anyway if Australia can beat Jake Gyllenhaal <laughs> <laughs> boy in the bubble <laughs> his finest theatrical performance or Paul Shawmore to the point <laughs> um, yeah yeah you can buy a dome wherever you want uh, as far as the best bests of, of 2020 Glenn Maxwell just just all over but yep. watching Glenn Maxwell uh, make that 100 in England to win the one day series the decider when they were five for bugger all uh, watching him come back to Australia and have that 
crazy run through through the White Bull series, watching him go about it in the Big Bash and just how much fun he seems to be having out there and how much fun he's giving to everybody else like us who appreciates the work that he does on the field. Yep, I share all of that. Uh, the run in, in one-day cricket and T20 cricket against India, he's clearly in their heads. It's a moot point as far as test selection is concerned at the moment. Unfortunately, because he's not playing Red Bull cricket, he's not really in, in the conversation, but boy, he's having the summer of his life anyway. That's what my column's about in the magazine, actually, that he's having his golden summer. I mean, mm. we may not think of it that way because this summer's so disjointed yeah. and, and, and so like on. Like a body in a suitcase. Like a body in a suitcase, but this is what's happening right now, so enjoy it. Max, he certainly is. And, and that night at Old Trafford, too. I mean, he came in at, like, 5 for 70 or something, chasing yeah. about 300, and he and Alex Carey picked a timely moment to play two magnificent innings and being on the call for TMS when he was pongoing balls into the, I think it was the hospitality, the right. point thing up there. Um, that was a real joy. And, yeah. uh, you know, watching Maxwell do a number of things in that series which were freakish, and he continued it in Australia, albeit after a, a shallow IPL, but we won't talk about that. Look, you know, the IPL, the IPL, uh, you know, some... some it happened. Fight, some come off, some don't. But <laughs> the, the, I think that run chase was... I think the number was that no team had ever been five for so few and chased a score that big. It had never happened yeah. before. It was literally unprecedented. Sounds right. And then his run in one day international cricket across the year, played six games in the year, 353 runs, averaging 70 at a strike rate of 145. <laughs> like, that's... Cop that. That was, that was the perfect year. And I, I watched that one day in hotel quarantine in Brisbane, sitting up till about 6am <laughs> in the hotel there, um, in, in bed, watching it on the big screen on the wall. And, and that was, it was a very enjoyable thing this year to, to see him flourish after having to step out of cricket last season. Yeah, and watching Australia through that stretch, those two chokes in the T20 and the and the one day, which yeah. were fairly brutal, but also for comedic effect. I mean, in a year, like a lot of those white ball games in the middle of the night mm. uh, when they're being played in, in winter, the they, can, they, can, they, can be, uh, they can be wallpaper, can't they? Like you don't yeah. remember one to the next, but um, that Australia <laughs> had two spectacular collapses. We'll yeah. remember that. You do remember Marcus Stoinis, just poor old Marcus Stoinis being sent oh. in at seven, being absolutely torched um, and yeah. just having to swing like a gate and, and connecting with one big cover drive for six and just missing everything else. Here's a good one. Ireland beating England that night That's at Southampton. That's a best. That's a very, very That's good That's a night. George best. That was so good. I think I said at the time that it was the least professional I've ever seen a press box, which is saying something. Um, we, we were all on our During feet. During cricket hours. During cricket hours. We were all on our feet cheering, really, uh, towards the end. Certainly at the hipster end of the press box. We were going nuts um, as they um, chased the it down. With, it's coming in from the hipster end. Yeah, coming in from the Adam Collins, Ben Jones and Matt Roller end with Patricia <laughs> Hunter-Raja riding shotgun or something like that. But they, um, no, they, they, uh, they came from nowhere as well, chasing mm. a lot. Uh, I think uh, Balburnie and Sterling put on, you know, 200 odd, mm. both made centuries. They were and chasing 329, weren't they? That's same. where they finished, that's right. Their final score was 329, yeah, you're spot on. As, uh, the and then Kevin O'Brien being there at the end and having to file the back page of the Irish Times, it was like, I don't know, 11 o'clock at night or something, and being told I had to file five minutes after the whistle. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I think it's some of my best work, to be honest with you. Yeah, um, the whole article is just Kevin O'Brien, Kevin O'Brien, Kevin O'Brien, <laughs> exclamation mark, exclamation mark. <laughs> the sort of piece you can't write until the game's over. But yeah. it's sad on the other front, though, that, of course. Who knows when Ireland play another Test match? We spoke mm. to Warren Dutram, the Chief Executive of Cricket Ireland, on the show through the year, and I mean, they were, they're trying, mm. and we wish them well, and if they get a Test match at Malahide this year, I can't wait to be there and support them, because they're giving it their absolute best. Yeah, um, but basically that was the story for, not that Ireland's an associate nation anymore, but for every associate team, the, the teams that lost their um, ODI 
status because that's all been chopped around because the the qualification tournaments have been moved. Yeah. You know, have, some of our colleagues have written on this extensively, um, and the the fact you know Holland had to, the Netherlands had to cancel their series that they were going to have over there. It, it's there have been so many opportunities that these smaller nations who battle to get games on and to get games against big opponents have, have had to pass those up because they just had, didn't have the resources to be able to try to stage biobubbles and all the rest of it. And it's, it's been a pretty sad year on that front. Yeah, it's a reminder when this shit show is all over that we've got to redouble our efforts when it comes to <laughs> associate cricket and women's cricket. So the two parts of our game which were flourishing and building so beautifully before COVID and, and now taken you know, significant steps backwards, we need to make sure that a lot of energy is invested in, in getting them back to where they need to be and, yeah. and, and growing again when this is over. Uh, speaking of countries falling apart, one of my worsts for the year, the Cricket South Africa oh, yeah. and what happened in that absolute debacle, um, the damage done to that country's cricketing reputation. So uh, a governing body... has been done <laughs> a, governing, a, a governing body that suspended their CEO in December last year while investigating financial irregularities, shall we say. Um, you know, <laughs> just everything was going on the company card, basically. Whatever you want. You want a house? Put it on the car. Slap it on the plastic. Slap it on the plastic. <laughs> and and somehow not managing to sack him until August. He was suspended on full pay for eight months while they investigated whether he was ripping off the till or not, which you wouldn't <laughs> think would be that complicated. <laughs> Get the card statement, read it out, see see how many things say diamonds and kittens and whatnot. Then having various of his allies in the organisation try to fire everybody else in the organisation before he could get fired. Yep. Then finally getting rid of the CEO, then having the board suppressing the report into him because it mentioned half of them and they didn't want to be mentioned. Then having the the members' council who sacks the board, even though half the board is on the members' council, so they passed that by one vote to get them sacked. Then the members' council refuses to institute the new board who've been put in place to clean things up and they're still basically threatening that once the new interim board's gone, they'll just roll back all of the changes that have been made. It's a it's a shambles. Yuck. There are a lot of people who should be pretty ashamed of themselves yep. and a few people who are in there trying to clean up the mess, but they're up to their elbows. It's like trying to put a body in a suitcase. Uh, cricket South Africa. <laughs> Yeah, what a what an absolute shambolic year for them. They're a worst. I'm glad there's some young players coming through there. I suppose, Jeff, if we're going to try and find a positive out of the South African year, despite the fact that they lost to England, mm. I mean, we're seeing some green shoots. Yeah, I mean, Quentin de Kock taking over as captain and sort of seeming to manage that job okay. Faf with the rig out, we've talked about that. But uh, Lutho Sipamlo debuted yep. against Sri Lanka and picked up six wickets in the test. And that's another young black fast bowler coming through. And Lungi Ngidi and Temba Bavuma were both really excited to be there for his debut, to be playing in the 11 for him. Rabada wasn't there, but, you know, that's that's another great step. And Rich Nortkier, the the super quick seamer, like he impressed a lot of people in the IPL and he's played well in the test matches as well. Yeah, he's got serious wheels. Uh, and I suppose while we're talking about new players at the end of each year, we look back and see who's who's impressed early doors. And Zach Crawley uh, is one of those players. I know he had debuted in 2019, but 2020, that 267 that he made in the final test of the summer was just supreme. It was chanceless. Shubham Gill, the MCG, we talked about that on The Daily Show, but I reckon in you know 15 years' time, it's going to be a bit of a 
you know, we were there mm. watching his first test match. Mohamed Siraj, I hope so as well. I, yeah. I can kind of see already. I can kind of sense already. He's got final word favourite written all over him, doesn't uh, he? He's just so elegant. Yeah. He's so smooth. Yeah. Like I just love watching him run into bowl. He looks liquid, and it just the ball just flows out of his hand. So and and Shubman Gill just ne- not overawed. Takes everyone on. Doesn't matter. Just hit him for four. That's the easy way to do it. Yeah, Zach Crawley getting around in the bucket hat, looking like he just escaped from Glastonbury. Um, quite a, a highlight of the. <laughs> The, the face-apped male version of Heather Knight. Zach yes. Crawley. It's just extraordinary what's going on there. Tangarasa Natarajan, the left armour, who came through, played in the white ball stuff for India against Australia. Really yep. loved watching him go about it as well. Like, super disciplined, not overawed. Like, hit his Yorkers, death bowling, all the rest. Speaking of discipline, Cam Green. I know it was... Mm-hmm. innings that was fruitless in the end getting out for 45 but there's enough there isn't there we, we, we've both seen enough of Cam Green to know that um, he's going to be a fixture in this Australian team for a while and I just love the way he bowls as well Chris Rogers made the point on our call a couple of days ago that we forget a little bit that they saw him as the next Pat Cummins Green mm. until three years ago until when they realised like, oh hang on <laughs> he might be the next you know tall version of Ricky Ponting or, or something like that so, um, <laughs> so something like that so he's going to play he's for way, a long he's time he's way less angry yeah he's good though Nassim Shah took a hat trick the youngest yeah. man to take one. Yeah. He was 17 at the there. time. I wasn't there. It was at Karachi against Bangladesh. I think it was Karachi against Bangladesh. That's a positive. We didn't mention that Test cricket back in Pakistan. Yeah. I know it started the previous year, but there is more Test cricket mm. now scheduled in Pakistan. Yep. Bangladesh played one Test there. But yeah, Nassim Shah, the youngest man to take a Test hat trick. Ever so exciting. He bowled okay at times against England as well, although perhaps not quite as lethal, but mm. he's fast, he's young, he's exciting, he's exuberant. Yep. He was the last man out in that New Zealand test match today, so he's uh, he's had a, a tough experience there as well, which often can help build the character of a young player. And, and for the Sri Lankans, uh, Lahiru Kumara, the... The, the big Sri Lankan disco. He's, he's an yes. absolute giant unit of a fast bowler. Yes, he is. Uh, I've been enjoying watching his work and one into Hasaranga in the uh, South Africa test. You know, the leg spinner picking up wickets and he's still sort of trying to perfect that leg spin art but you know he's, he's an exciting one to watch so there are there are these this next generation is always interesting we're always intrigued about what might happen next uh, we touched on New Zealand uh, in the first segment but yeah I guess just to recap that they were a, a hair's breadth away from overtaking Australia that's no mean feat uh, at all in uh, the rankings in the rankings whilst at the same time you know Yes, the percentage point system suits them with the World Test Championship and how it's been mm. rearranged. But yeah, the very every fact that they could be at Lords is pretty cool. When the Test Championship comes up, every time I read WTC, I just read it as TBC. <laughs> it kind of is. They're like, nah, yeah. maybe. Uh. But I, I like. I mentioned. Look, let's say we're at Lords watching Australia and New Zealand mm-hmm. play for the inaugural World Test Championship trophy at June yep. next year. That'll be a real thing, and not least on the basis that New Zealand were had that horrible experience at yeah. Lords in 2019 so a bit of a watch this space for 2021 with them but a fine year when they did get on in 2020 Kane Williamson's taken it to another level I mean he's made three test centuries along the way uh, from limited opportunities Six starts. Yeah, BJ Watling uh, as well I know that we kind of bagged the ICC team of the decade a while ago but if you think about it he's probably the guy that, that should be there behind the stumps it's just that nobody notices him well and some of the runs he's made like some of the innings yeah. he's played in test matches Very for, for New Zealand he's, you know, he's been involved in some extraordinary partnerships some extraordinary come from behind wins you know Kyle Jamison coming through makes a great Irish whiskey um, also can bowl so. it's going to be good mm. Kyle Jamison I mean you think I know that Southie's at the other end of his career but Bolt's still the attack leader Pop Kyle Jamison you know on a, on a greenish pitch in England later in the year that, that will be throw Lockie Ferguson in and Matt Henry maybe it'll be interesting uh, that's for sure uh, on the other side of the New Zealand other side of the ditch mm. 
when you're talking about the other side of the ditch. The other uh, side of the New Zealand coin. New Zealand's women, I don't know, what can you say? Every year we say they're going to win the World Cup and every year they fuck it up. They didn't make the semis of the T20, which was kind of galling. Not just for us, by the way. You can see with Sophie Devine and Susie Bates and Amy Satterthwaite, well, she didn't play in that competition, yeah, did she? She, no. she came back later came in the year the, after the maternity leave. But, but nevertheless, the two superstars that have been doing the heavy lifting for so long, they've been let down a lot by their next generation, not quite yet getting through. And even for their own performances, for mm. whatever reason, uh, at those big tournaments, they just don't reach the heights that they do at domestic T20 level. And that yeah. means they can't quite get to the final four. And in turn, they, they can't make the finals. And if they did, they'd be so mm. dangerous. I just I feel like with New Zealand women... The the WBBL has done them some favours in, in helping develop some of their players, but it's really emphasised the gap from the top to the bottom. When, yeah. when the national team turns out, you've got five or six players who are top quality and, and a big gap to the rest of them. And I don't know if this is fair to say, you know, I haven't spoken to these players, but my... My my speculatory feel on it is when I watch Divine Bates Satterthwaite play for New Zealand, it's kind of like they've given up. It's like they've sort of recognised their time has passed, or their chance has gone. You know, they're they're all at the closer to the end than the than the start. They're yeah. well into their thirties, and it just feels like they've been in teams that have fallen short for so long that they don't really believe that the teammates with them can get them there. Um, you know, at some level, they would know that India have probably overtaken them or near yeah. enough to overtaken them. Well, the fact that India made the World Cup would, would reinforce that point, that England are investing so much money at yeah. domestic level. Now, they're now you know, falling into the slipstream mm. of Australia you know, as far as having semi-pro contracts. So yeah. it's going to make it hard when New Zealand just don't have that infrastructure. And I suppose that series against Australia at Allen Borderfield that you were covering, Jeff, for the ABC, um, we got to see... That's kind of where I felt it. That, I mean, obviously, yeah. Bates got injured during that series and sort of everything that could have gone wrong for New Zealand did go wrong. But there was there was a weariness about Sophie Devine captaining that side that she kind of knew if she didn't turn up, they weren't going to win. And, 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 and at the same time, they ran into Australia perhaps never better. Yeah. in this generation and it's not just Lanning and Perry either Haynes is a superstar mm. Rachel Haynes has never played better and of course Annabelle they've got such Sutherland, a deep who they just chuck in at first drop and she's peerless batting at number three I mean, yeah stuff like they've just got so much depth and you know the bowling as well the, the spin twins of Molyneux and Jonathan and mm-hmm. Wareham you can throw in there as well with her leg breaks yeah. the young the young bowler from Victoria is obviously a world champion twice over now isn't she so yeah. the gap's getting bigger because Australia's getting better mm. and I'm not saying that's necessarily a good thing for the global game but it is a recognition of the work that's been done and money that's been invested now over a pretty long period of time obviously the year where everyone had to stay home and there was no cricket and all of that was uh, among the worst things Um, one of the little best things was all of the people who got drawn into cricket via the documentary the Amazon doco about the Australian team in England the previous year and, and just how many people particularly in the UK were watching it and sort of grudgingly admitting to watching it and sort of grudgingly yes. admitting to maybe not hating all of the players as much as they once did. Yeah, and even for sort of cynical bastards like us, yeah. I mean, A.D. Brown did a great job with that and it mm. did paint a lot of the players in a light that we weren't necessarily um, conditioned to seeing them in. Mm. But yeah, more generally uh, about 
involvement, staying involved and staying engaged with cricket at a time that was tough to do so. Remember that Vanuatu game that was the first game back that was streamed? I was at the London Cup between Surrey's women and Middlesex's women at the Oval. First competitive game of cricket in England by a county, if you like, in 2020, and it may as well have been the World Cup final. Mm. The work that the Cricketer magazine uh, did their online platform with the Quarantine Cup, the video games where the yeah. counties played, and then when you get into the season, the innovation of the Bob Willis Trophy, the way they fit the blast in. I mean, people had to do more with less or mm. as much as they could with less and they tended to find a way to get there and I think across the board that's admirable and when we didn't have it um, the test was there as a, a pretty decent substitute to chart a pretty crazy couple of years in Australian cricket history a kind of combination best and worst all mixed in together um, the fact that racism in cricket especially in the UK most notably a little bit in Australia although we're a lot worse at, at having those harder conversations but it was better acknowledged this year um, there were players taking a knee there was acknowledgement of the Black Lives Matter movement the the logos being worn during the test series and so on and and all of the, the players of colour who came out talking about their experiences in the game and how they'd been screwed over during their careers you know as in Rafiq with Yorkshire and Michael Carberry and so on and then kind of mixed in with that in, inextricable from that was some of the best in, in the bravery of those people in speaking out Michael Holding and Ebony Rainford Brent with their their piece on TV at the start of the West Indies series that was so powerful and it had such a broader effect in in making people admit what was going on and hopefully instigating some genuine movement towards doing something about it rather than just saying the right things and continuing to ignore it. And it was the perfect storm, wasn't it? The Rainford Brent holding intervention because just because of the way it was, every nation was taking the host feed, not just the cricket... Mm. Everything. Whereas normally, it, it, you know, you'd have some panel show and, yeah. or you'd have some other link. It just happened to be that it was like prime time in Australia, which people were getting a chance to watch it on the first day yeah. back of the international cricketing calendar at, a, at, at the sort of test match level. Yeah, it meant that it reached a far broader audience. Everybody was talking about it. It was the defining part of a very important week in, in test cricket history, getting that series off the ground inside the bubble. But yeah, we've had you know, that fantastic conversation with Ebony at the very start of the year on the final word about her extraordinary story and then revisiting mm. her 2020 in November and drilling down with her into what happened that day with Sky yeah. and the support that Sky provided her throughout. It was an incredibly admirable piece of television from those those behind the scenes as well to get it to the point where they were happy to, to publish and the conversations that followed. It was brilliant and it made a difference and uh, to the immense credit of everyone who was involved and now that means it's opened the door to the conversations that you're referring to Jeff where yep. players who have experienced systemic racism feel comfortable going out and, and talking about parts of their lives which have been difficult and have often been papered over by those who've been in a position to do so historically. Yeah and then as she said it's all about what happens next you know Absolutely. What, what happens up to now doesn't really matter you know this is it, or it doesn't matter if nothing else happens you know all, all of that effort will be wasted if if there's not actual practical noticeable change which is why I'm, I'm gratified by the mm. comments from Pat Cummins and Tim Payne last week yeah really good stuff to end the year and 
kind of from nowhere. Like, no one's really talking about BLM at the yeah. moment in a cricketing context after Australia elected not to take the knee in England. And again, here, we talked about that on the show the other week. I don't want to revisit this topic. But then, yeah, sort of seemingly out of nowhere, Pat Cummins talking about Indigenous literature. He's been reading about, mm. you know, the history of, of Bruce their Pascoe's plight. Book. Bruce Pascoe's book. And, and uh, Tim Payne talking about how he himself had been, you know, guilty is the wrong word, but he, he himself had been, uh, in the past, had been someone who had looked the other way unwittingly but had and sort of fronting up to that and knowing that in the future he is going to be better for the experiences of 2020 as far as understanding uh, yeah. the importance that leadership in teams like the one he over oversees uh, is seen around the world yeah well someone with privilege conceding that they have privilege isn't necessarily a, a huge development but when it's the captain of the australian cricket team that does Absolutely. Weight, you know, yep. and, and that, that is something that hopefully will have a, a stronger influence on other people as well. Our personal best to close things off, um, the, the best thing for us on the final word was that at the start of this year when everything started going to shit, I think we thought that, you know, maybe this show wouldn't make it, that, that everything was going to be harder, that we would be scrapping to make a living, we wouldn't have the time to put into it and to keep keep making it work and that people would switch off because they'd have more more pressing things to do and they wouldn't want to be worrying about a, a cricket podcast or putting resources into it and instead it's been the opposite where more people have listened to the show than ever before more people have signed up to support the show and keep it going and the crazy volume of correspondence we've had from so many people saying that we helped keep you company over the year when life sucked and that that meant something. I mean, that's that's incredibly meaningful to us that this thing we do, which is us sitting here, you know, enjoying each other's company and having a chat and feeling like there's nothing better to do in the world can also go out there across the world into your ears and make your life a little bit better or a little bit more manageable for a day. I mean, that's a massive privilege. So thank you to everyone. I couldn't put any of that any better than you have there. I've just sort of add that when you say that we didn't know we could continue making the show that's because we didn't know we, whether we'd have the not that we didn't have the time to record a podcast yeah. but priorities change whether when you're a freelancer yeah whether you can afford to put the time in to make a show that often can take the majority of our mm. working week once you consider all the other bits and pieces yeah. that go hand in hand with with making two podcasts a week which you know we get great support from our production company bad producer productions and dc is an absolute wizard but it was difficult to see how this was going to work. Yeah. I remember having a conversation with you about well, what are we going to talk about each week? Like, yeah. how, How's this actually going to work in practice? It's all good and well to say we'll crack on, but crack on with what exactly? Yeah. But, you know, people stood by us and they didn't just stand by, as you say, they, in their droves, subscribed to the show, subscribed to Patreon. Um, we had, you know, different commercial partners getting in touch who hadn't before. It was a really beautiful thing and, yeah, flattering that enough people out there thought that what we do matters enough to help us do it into the future yeah so yeah all of that um we're we're very grateful to everyone who's been part of it and i guess we'll keep doing it because it's, it's the best part of our week most weeks yeah couldn't agree more let's leave it there mm -hmm. in in closing mm -hmm. i want to just thank the the people we always thank but do so sincerely bad producer productions mentioned them before jay mueller astrid edwards who run the show there just such a force for good two wonderful human beings who make lots of shows and do lots of things but you never feel like you're sort of scrapping around to get five minutes of their time they're mm. always there for us and it means a lot and dave collins dc who edits us we're not an easy podcast to edit <laughs> let's be honest yeah. we're, we're longer than some <laughs> we're longer than some and we make more mistakes than 
all. <laughs> uh, and we often have stupid little things that we add in along the way and mistakes and come yeah. back to stuff and it can be hard yakka dealing with yeah. us. Excuse me. DC, can you find the audio of this hilarious meme that was on the internet that someone posted eight weeks ago? E- e- um, exactly. And, and rip it off and then cut it and then drop it into the background. No worries. There's all of that and, and you know, have, has anyone ever complained? Far from it. They, they, they are proud to be part of what we're doing and we're proud to be part of their organisation. So thanks to all of them. To Seabus Super, yeah, we talk about Seabus Super an awful lot because Seabus Super have been there for us for a long time when really there wasn't any other organisation. Mm. This is before, you know, b- before we even started talking about Patreon and subscribing yeah. and chipping in and all that kind of thing. Seabus were there with us and it means so much, again, to us that an organisation like them, such a reputable organisation in, in the superannuation industry, would take the time to care what we do and it's kind of cool that we can be in partnership uh, with an organisation that do such a great thing uh, for working people around Australia. Yeah, and then everyone on Patreon who just decided to come together and say, well, let's all chip in to help make sure that these two idiots can keep doing this show because yes. it's fun. Uh, that's amazing. I like honestly love all of you because you've made it possible and you're out there and we're we're exchanging messages and we're getting little bits of insight into the nerd pledge numbers that we can't solve and we're hearing about people's lives and we've had you have people dropping us off presents at the various places that we're staying and handing us books and we're meeting up with people in pubs and just across the country and across the world there's there's always these little avenues to go down and explore with all of the people who've connected with us on our show yeah and the way they're supported like everything we do the way they you know the way that this wonderful audience will, will get behind us when we're doing radio or when we made calling the shots earlier in the year with Dan Norcross I mean amazing support and it's never taken for granted yeah we just love doing this and we love the people that tune in each week it means Mm. a a tremendous amount and it means even more given everything else that's gone down in 2020 that we're sitting here uh, having a conversation sitting on a balcony together and able to reflect on it and be in such good spirits anyone who listens to the show you're the best you are the best of 2020 you're the best <laughs> for the final time in 2020, after 97, 99, maybe 89, maybe 90 podcasts. Maybe, maybe 100, who knows? This <laughs> has been the final where with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon, we'll talk to you again many, many times in 2021. Happy New Month. I had to go about it right.